Welcome to the Newsbusters podcast with the executive editor of Newsbusters, your host, Tim Graham. Hello and welcome. It's less than a week to Thanksgiving, so we're almost to Christmas music time. Never start before Black Friday. But here in Washington, Wash FM 97.1 has already been slinging the Christmas music for about a week. And it seems like they play about eight songs over and over again. Jingle bell, jingle bell, jingle bell rock. No. No, thank you. Uh, Our topic today is the latest pro-Hamas riot in D.C. On Wednesday night, about half past seven, Capitol Police responded to reports of demonstrators blocking entrances and exits to the Democratic National Committee headquarters on Capitol Hill. Not the Republican National Committee headquarters, because Republicans are apparently resistant to pro-Hamas sentiment. But Democrat members of Congress, about 10 of them, including House Democrat leader Hakeem Jeffries, were inside the building to meet with some congressional candidates The lawmakers were trapped inside for about an hour before police evacuated them, according to Representative Debbie Dingell of Michigan. Sister Tolja at Red State said Dingell is showing she's not willing to play along with the narrative that's unfolding. It was mostly peaceful. Dingell told the Detroit News that what happened scared her more than the Capitol riot. This rattled me more than January 6th did, Dingle told the Detroit News. I was scared. Someone is going to get hurt at one of these things. They can get out of control. As the Jewish insider observed, that's pretty significant coming from Dingle, considering her account of what she heard and saw on January 6th, 2021. She was on the floor of the House when rioters breached the Capitol and has said she heard gunshots and pounding on the doors of the House chamber and smelled tear gas as she was evacuated. So this was bad enough to be scary to people inside. But liberal journalists didn't like this story at all. Obviously, I came in on Thursday and said, Let's look at the Washington Post. Now, we we didn't expect it to be in the newspaper if it happened after, you know, around eight last night when some of this shoving around was going on. Uh, You know, I think major papers, they usually sort of close down their their reporting at six or six thirty for the next day's paper. At USA Today, we joke it's by a late lunch. It's like at 2 p.m. But so we didn't expect it to be in the paper on uh, Thursday and it wasn't. But I went to the homepage on Thursday morning, and I couldn't find this story anywhere on the Washington Post homepage. And it's a big homepage with a ton of links. So I went to the search engine. That told me there was an AP story on the site and a Washington Post story on the site. I looked again late on Thursday afternoon. Again, no sign on the homepage of the violent DNC HQ protest story. Then I decided today, let's take a look at the Washington Post's official Twitter account. No dice. From Wednesday night, 
into, oh, what, 2 p.m. Friday? I could not find a single tweet on the reports they did post on their website about the DNC protest. They did incessantly tweet about their report titled Terror on Repeat. This showed graphic images of blood and death after mass shootings with AR-15s. This, I think they thought was Pulitzer bait. A lot of people thought it was gross. I, I think it was Richard Weaver in Ideas Have Consequences who talked about the pornography of grief. It seemed a little overstated to me until you're, yeah, you're literally like, please look at these bloody images of death. Supposed to make you favor massive gun controls. Uh, also, the Post's Twitter had four tweets about George Santos saying he wouldn't run again. Like, that was the most important thing going. And they had three tweets promoting their man, Philip Bumpy Bump, denying that there is such a thing as a Democrat scandal, among other things Bumpy does. They even had a tweet on how the watermelon is a symbol of Palestinian resistance. You see, it's the same colors as the Palestinian flag. They even had a tweet about someone in the opinion section loving the Golden Bachelor. I wonder if Curtis Hauk has read that yet. He loves him some Bachelor. But nothing on the mini-riot. They did have a link to something they called the Thursday Briefing that tells you, ooh, here's all the hot stories we're following today. Their Thursday morning briefing did not have the DNC riot. It did include story number seven, Chuck E. Cheese's animatronic band will live on in one location. Woohoo! So on Friday morning, did the Washington Post report on the DNC protest? Yes, but it's not on the front page. It was on the front page of the Metro section, B1. Now, this is exactly what happened when we had a massive pro-Israel rally. People noticed on Twitter, the Washington Post did not have it on A1. They put it on B1. They didn't even have a photograph of the rally on A1, which is what the New York Times did. The New York Times had a photo of the protest on A1 saying, look inside the paper. There wasn't even that. So now you can look at the front page and down at the bottom of the front page of the Washington Post. They have this called the uh, in, in the news or basically the inside the paper box, and they did not alert you to the DNC riot story on the bottom of the front page. They did alert you to the so-called Antifa guy at the January 6th riot, who's convicted of obstruction and other charges. That's there. This one was not. So then there's the neutrality of the story on B1. This is the headline. Protesters, comma, police, at odds over clash at DNC. Now, if you call January 6th a clash, they would probably accuse you of being MAGA. Uh, and then they have a text box right under the headline, Gaza ceasefire activists posed threat, authorities say, a charge they deny. These people are remarkably fair and balanced between 
Capitol Police and rioters. Does that strike you as curious? I certainly think so. By Ellie Silverman and Peter Herman, we focus on the protesters because they're righteous people. So the story begins, the protesters wore black shirts that read ceasefire now and linked arms, their backs to the Democratic National Committee headquarters entrance. Video and photos of the scene show. They knew it was risky that people could be arrested for blocking the entryways. Yet after weeks of calling lawmakers and demonstrating inside the Capitol and congressional office buildings, organizers said they thought speaking to elected leaders directly on their way in and out of a private event was the next step to make their voices heard. Did they actually think they were going to speak to members of Congress by blocking all the entrances? I don't think that was the point. I think the point was fear. So uh, we go another paragraph in. Uh, well, it says the Capitol Police said six officers were injured in the clashes, while protesters tallied 90 among their ranks who suffered minor injuries. All right, then the reporters say the one agreement among police and demonstrators was that after encountering each other at many Israel-Gaza war protests in Washington for more than a month, what unfolded Wednesday night was completely different. It is a very serious situation when members of Congress are in a private building and people are blocking all the entrances and exits and banging on the building, said Tim Barber, a Capitol Police spokesman. Then, of course, protesters on the ground saw it as an unprompted and overly aggressive response. At no point, protest organizers said, was the group trying to break into the building. Well, you're banging on the outside. Do you think the people inside don't think you sort of mean harm, that you sound awfully hostile? Eva Borgwart of the Jewish group If Not Now said this was a nonviolent protest using similar tactics I've seen used all month. Yes, this would include the one that Rashida Tlaib loved inside the, one of the House office buildings. And yeah, the conservative side was, oh, look at the insurrection, because you're not supposed to protest inside the Capitol. And you know full well that the Biden Justice Department prosecuted people for parading in the Capitol. Not people that committed property damage or hit a cop, parading in the Capitol. And of course, they acknowledge this clash may also point to a change in Capitol Police posture following January 6. And of course, they went to former DC uh, chief cop Charles Ramsey. And of course, right at the jump onto page B2, Ramsey said he was not comparing the protesters outside the DNC headquarters to January 6 rioters. But he said that now police certainly will not take for granted any longer that things like that can't happen. January 6, lessons learned. And then the Post tells you who was in there. House Minority Leader Hakeem Jeffries, Minority Whip, Catherine Clark, Democratic Caucus Chairman Pete Aguilar, Democratic Congressional Campaign Committee Chairwoman Susan Del Bean, Bell Del Bene? Or they put out a joint statement saying, some protesters escalated their activity in a matter that exceeded a peaceful demonstration. Yeah, you notice how the Democrats, they'll call one thing an insurrection and this merely 
exceeded a peaceful demonstration. Yes, they called this in the Post an interfaith group of about 150 people, including Jewish Americans. See, there's nobody here on the left. There's nobody here, certainly, who would be an extremist. There's nobody who would be described as supportive of Hamas. There's no ideology whatsoever. As for the violence, a protester identified as Reuben Arthur Camacho, 24, of Woodridge, New York, was able to free himself from an officer's grasp and slam an officer against the garage, police wrote in court records. Then police alleged Camacho hit the Capitol Police officer's face. As he, as he was handcuffed, Camacho said, I was only defending myself. Yeah, if you watch the video, you know, the, to me, the most interesting part is when they, they start moving bike racks. That really looks like January 6th. Capitol Police said they didn't try to clear the area until protesters moved dumpsters in front of doors, pepper sprayed officers, and tried to move bike racks. So, I mean, I think this, is, this really should be something that's taken as a violent event. And, of course, they ha so they have a picture on the inside of the paper. Caption reads, Israel-Gaza war protesters link arms and block the main entrance of the Democratic National Committee headquarters Wednesday as party leaders were gathered for a private event inside. So, I mean, all of the, the aggressive coverage of January 6th just didn't come through here. Now, if you go to the front page, what was on the front page when they put the, the riot or the, the, the violent protest on B1? At the top of A1 in Friday's paper, Israel, Israelis widen hospital search in capitals. No findings yet of Hamas stronghold. What? <laughs> Do you notice this pattern? You know, the Israelis start showing you pictures of all the guns and, and stuff and the tunnels they found under the, under the hospital. And they're like, no findings yet of Hamas. I mean, that's on the front page of the Washington Post. The other side, top left, Santos now says re-election bid is out. Yes, we know the top stories of the day. George Santos. Criminal first-term congressman who will never run again. Top of one, because he embarrasses the Republicans. And of course, what else is on the front page? If it's the front page, it's got to have Trump on it. Right under the fold. Unlikely trio may soon sit in court next to Trump. A pastor, a publicist, and an activist remain defiant in Georgia election case. Yes, this story has three reporters. Um, and it go, takes you into A8 and the Fulton County Probe, one of their favorite stories at the Washington Post. In fact, turn inside to A8, and it's the entire A8. They love it. Then next to that, over on the left, headline, Cash Woes Discord at Pro-Trump GOP Offices. This has five reporters on the byline two of which were on the other Trump story. But it's all about how, oh, state GOP headquarters are having trouble with their finances because of all the election denial and the, uh, you know, the inter-party fighting. You know, see, remember, they love inter-party fighting among Republicans. Inter-party fighting among Democrats, be one.
Always remember MRC carries in its inventory an abundance of truth. It's how we destroy the media's fictional storytelling and deliver the facts about the disastrous policies and anti-American ideology harming this nation. Make sure you provide some support to us at mrc.org slash donate. So then you ask yourself the question, how do the networks cover this, this disturbance outside the DNC? Well, they couldn't get to it on the evening news. The evening news was already over. So Curtis Houck went through what they did in the morning. And you found sort of this same trying to be neutral phrasing. On ABC, Good Morning America, Robin Roberts, the co-host, an anti-war protest in Washington turning violent as demonstrators demand a ceasefire in Gaza, protesting the war outside the Democratic National Committee, coming face to face with Capitol Police. At least George Stephanopoulos said it was a protest that forced the evacuation of several lawmakers last night and shared the Capitol Police line about how they protested illegally and violently. Then Rachel Scott, Capitol Hill correspondent, struck a neutral tone in each hour of the show. And as Curtis notes, this certainly wouldn't have been the case if this were, say, white supremacists with tiki torches outside the Republican National Committee. Yes, they would find that shocking. They would think all the white supremacists were inside the building. That's the way they believe at these liberal networks. On CBS Mornings, co-host Nate Burleson opened the segment by just stopping shy of the mostly peaceful lingo. A protest for peace descended into violence last night. <laughs> Police used pepper strip spray on demonstrators outside the headquarters of the Democratic National Committee. The organizers say they were there to demand a ceasefire in the war between Israel and Hamas. See, now there you get no idea of protester hits cop in the face. All you get is police use pepper strand demonstrators. Over on NBC on Today, co-host Savannah Guthrie cited tense moments with co-host Hoda Kotb fretting chaos in Washington because of a protest over the war in the Middle East turned violent. They did cover it on uh, the PBS NewsHour on Thursday night in sort of an overarching story on protests on both sides of the war. Laura Barone Lopez said yesterday law enforcement said on social media that 150 people were, quote, illegally and violently protesting, but rally goers led by a coalition of groups, including Jewish Voice for Peace Action and the If Not Now Movement, another American Jewish organization, say police initiated the confrontation. Yeah, you notice what's kind of dumb about that, PBS? What initiates the confrontation is you surrounding all the entrances and the exits and blocking it with your arms linked. It's never a violent confrontation when you lay down in the middle of the roadway and block traffic for two miles. It might inspire people to think violent thoughts, but it's not considered violent. Well, I think on some level it is, should be considered a use of force because you are forced not to move. And it would be nice if police departments were tougher on these people. Protesters like this know to expect 
they'll maybe they'll be handcuffed. They'll be they'll put them in a paddy wagon. They'll go down to headquarters. They get processed and they go home. Nobody gets put in jail for two years. That happens when you protest on January 6th. But notice how much Laura Barone Lopez is underlining the Jewish, the Jewishness of these protesters. Well, if they're so Jewish, how come they hate Israel this bad? They're Jewish. Uh, and they're probably funded by George Soros. We can bet on that. Uh, make sure you look at Newsbusters. I believe our friend Louis said something on how. You know, the Soros people funded a whole bunch of these pro-Hamas organizations. All right. How about National Public Radio? Well, I went to look at their search engine. I couldn't find anything on this. Now, remember, they have their top of the hour NPR News Now. It might have been in there. I didn't feel like trying to listen to 48 hours of that. But if you go into their search engine, there's nothing. They've been super aggressive on January 6th and the Oath Keepers and the Proud Boys and the election deniers. But when it came to this protest, zip, zero, nada, as Brent Bozell likes to say. I even went looking to say, hey, let's look at the webpage of NPR's Odette Youssef, domestic extremism correspondent. In her reporting, Youssef aims to explore how extremist ideas break into the mainstream how individuals are radicalized, and efforts to counter that. You know what the problem is with that? All the extremists are on the, on the right. You knew it. Odette Youssef is not going to be exploring pro-Hamas sentiment. Doesn't matter how violent they get. Odette Youssef, not interested. But there she was on the NPR Politics podcast this week to talk about Speaker Mike Johnson's ties to the Christian right. He has long held ties to Christian activists and leaders, some of whom are linked to the January 6th insurrection and the growing Christian nationalism movement. We explore what those views are and why they matter in today's political landscape on the NPR Politics Podcast. So we've got 20 minutes for that, or at least some of that, but they didn't have any time for the DNC protest. Now, uh, back to Debbie Dingle. You know, before this protest, she was most recently noticed for rushing to the defense of her Michigan colleague, Rashida Tlaib, Democrat of Palestine. So, uh, you know, I did a, a column on how the fact checkers have handled Rashida Tlaib. We went into the search engine again. Oh, this is always fun. Oh, PolitiFact just takes the cake. You go in there, you find the, the Rashida Tlaib page. Hey, at least there's a page. But there's only one fact check in her four plus years in Congress. And of course, it's a mostly true in 2020 for asserting Detroit spent $294 million on police last year and $9 million on health. Well, this is kind of a silly comparison because we all should know policing is an essential city government function. Spending on health care includes state funds, federal funds, private insurance funds. See, just notice the selective nature of this is that 
Rashida Tlaib can say there was an Israel airstrike on a hospital that didn't actually exist. And Rashida Tlaib can say that from the river to the sea is an aspirational call to freedom and coexistence. And they got nothing. Sadly, PolitiFact is not alone. Factcheck.org, which almost might be the most sensible of these libs, their Tlaib archive page lists eight fact checks, and all eight are focused on Tlaib's opponents. What about Snopes.com? That's probably the silliest fact check of the group. They do a lot of, you know, clickbait searches or, or, or fact checks. Was this really a pig? Um, a search found 13 checks attacking anti-Talib posts. You know, it's a little hard to do because you can't seem to line them up in a straight line, like by date. But I found 13, 10 of them in 2019. None of those fact checks were about anything Talib actually said. Several were from satire websites with titles like Taters Gonna Tate. They're very big on saying you can't make fun of these people as satire. And, and they're sort of trying to say right-wingers are so dumb, they're going to celebrate these satires and, and imagine they're real. And maybe some people get caught up in that. But it's, it's a, to me, it's a little silly to say, we're not fact checkers, we're satire checkers. You're kind of punishing people for making fun of Democrats. Then there's this, the site leadstories.com. Facebook uses them, among others. They also flagged a clearly marked Tlaib satire suggesting she advocated removing the American flag from classrooms. They must think, well, I would believe that. <laughs> Every classroom has to have a Palestinian flag. I mean, it gets a little crazy. I'm sure you all saw this, uh, uh, all the Chinese flags they were holding up when Xi Jinping came to town in San Francisco. No American flags, just Chinese flags. We wouldn't want to upset Xi, pronouns he, him. Uh, and then um, Washington Post fact checker Glenn Kessler isn't busy ruling on Tlaib, he's too busy right now picking on Trump and the other Republican presidential candidates. But he did recently flag President Biden, Biden for daring to assert Hamas's body count in Gaza isn't really reliable. Remember that Glenn Kessler is a former State Department correspondent. And he's like, well, the State Department uses the Hamas body count. You know, he, he, the reporters really want to have the Hamas body count to have and to hold because they want to sound definitive. They don't want to stand on the ground in Gaza City and say, uh, well, Dana, um, we don't know how many are dead. Um, we're not, we haven't found the bodies and where to count them. You know, they're going to use the Hamas body count because that's what they've got. And it doesn't matter if it's exaggerated. And these are the people that are going to lecture us about how they're facts first, and they care about truth more than you. Then instead of exploring... What inspired the House censure of Tlaib that she made a lot of lies about the Middle East? In recent days, Reuters fact check flagged social media posts and warned posts about U.S. Representative Tlaib's birthplace lack context. Someone on Facebook suggested Tlaib should be deported back to her birthplace. Well, that turns out to be Detroit, apparently. She says she was born in Detroit in 1976. 
Uh, Reuters just said it was missing context. I thought that was kind of weird. It's like, you're not saying false. You're kind of saying Tlaib hasn't produced a birth certificate like Barack Obama. Mm. So then USA Today's fact check squad published a post headlined, video shows Rashida Tlaib protesting Trump in 2016, not backing Hamas. They reported Tlaib was not protesting in support of Hamas. That video was seven years old and was taking an event for former President Donald Trump. Well, obviously in 2016, he wasn't president yet, unless it was late 16. But yes, she was like running around, bouncing and kicking and screaming, being dragged out of a protest. So it was not a pro-Hamas protest. Now, remember, when we attacked the fact checkers, we're not saying that, they, that their fact checks were not correct. Sometimes they are. A lot of times they are. It's the selection bias. It's the way that, here again, their fact checks are all of Tlaib's critics and not about what Tlaib said. That is the overwhelming pattern with Biden. They're much more likely to check what Biden attackers say than what Biden says. And yes, sometimes, because they want to make their money from Facebook or whatever, they, you know, they, they're going to say, uh, someone on social media said Biden's in prison. You know what I mean? They were, Biden died and nobody, you know, they're going to, some of the things that Biden's critics said is preposterous on its face, but they want to make some money. So, you know, they're going to, Facebook's going to flag that and say Biden or Hillary Clinton is not dead. So, I mean, this is, so this is the pattern is that either the news media is lining up and suggesting Hamas is credible in one way or another, or when there's an actual, like, a violent protest where people feel threatened, the people inside the DNC were probably like the students inside the Cooper Union Library. When people are pounding on the windows, you don't feel safe. If somebody was pounding on the windows of your home, would you be able to classify that as nonviolent? Or is it a threat? But the news media wants to be neutral on this. They have found an occasion to be fair and balanced and objective. Well, so that Hamas can get its due. This is rather sad. But you gotta come around and see what we're doing on a day-by-day -day basis, even through the holidays. We're still working at Newsbusters. Come once, twice, 24 times a day. Thanks for listening.